So in Hebrews chapter 10, uh, verses 24 and 25, we're encouraged to consider one another, how we might stir one another up to love and good works and to not forsake the gathering together of the saints as is the habit of some, uh, but rather to encourage one another, especially as we see the day approaching. It's a great, great passage. I think especially for the times in which we're living that are growing increasingly dark where there is a far greater uh, movement of unbelief than belief. Uh, of course, the world is reflecting that between uh, just uh, the looseness of morality, the wokeness of culture, all these different kinds of indicators of where our, uh, where the cultures around the world are going. Uh, this is a time when as much as probably since the first century where those words resonate uh, profoundly. And I think it's worth us taking a minute to consider them and not just uh, mentally or uh, just at a, at a head level, but really to to consider them with the intent of, of living them out, uh, to incite one another to love and good works. That's uh, to provoke or to encourage one another in that direction. The word literally behind that speaks of uh, the kind of terminology you use if you want to incite a riot, the idea of stirring up and provoking in one another love and good works. You know, we're living in a time, not to sound cliche about it, you know, we're living in a time, but the truth is we're living in a time that um, not only is culture falling apart, but the sense of the importance of Christian fellowship is falling uh, to an all-time low. I think after COVID began to separate a lot of people in churches, um, church closings, uh, you know, uh, sort of the conditions under which they might very tentatively begin to meet again. I'm not putting down churches or leaders or any of that kind of thing. It's just the reality, though, that because of the impact of, um, you know, the expectations in culture during COVID, a lot of churches began to fall apart and continue to stay closed. And a lot of fellowship that once may have been very strong and very rich uh, is all but non-existent in a lot of places. Um, but the truth of the matter is, is and, and, and I guess on in concert with that, um, you know, uh, a lot of people are getting most of, you know, their spiritual feeding and, and that kind of thing from online church and podcasts like, you know, this kind of a situation where we're sort of watching something. Um, but, you know, truth be told, that's not really church. Uh, it's a supplement. It can be a great supplement. Hopefully this is a helpful supplement, but it's just a supplement. Uh, it's really not a replacement for church because church is, as described by the uh, author here in Hebrews, it's a time of getting together and, and gathering and meeting, of encouraging one another toward love and good works, of, of, of looking with anticipation toward the day coming and living out our Christian faith together and encouraging one another as we do uh, en route to that day. And so, you know, some of the things that generally are lacking uh, when it comes to that, if it were just, if, if really our spiritual diet was mostly met by things like online church or that kind of thing, um, we would be missing the opportunities to gather together and to provoke each other toward, first, as the author says, love. love Jesus said that love would be the primary feature by, with, by which the world outside would recognize that we're his, our love for one another. But you can't really do that uh, in a setting uh, where the setting doesn't involve gathering together. Uh, gathering together and being with the brothers and sisters in Christ is an essential thing, both for our own personal spiritual health in terms of encouraging one another toward love, 
but it also it also builds and enhances our testimony to the world outside because when they see us together as the family of God loving one another and serving one another and uh, putting each other's needs first and giving and receiving in that context it's something that the world sees and, and goes wow you know what is what is that all about uh, as a, an example as I was just talking to someone in church yesterday uh, about the uh, the power of our witness and our testimony to those you know who we're hoping to influence um, is, uh, uh, one person put it this way if you're walking down the street eating an ice cream cone and someone can tell that you're loving that ice cream cone chances are you're not gonna have to convince them to go want one they're gonna want one because they see how much you love it well it's an awfully simplistic example but it's a really wonderful one because when people see the church loving one another in genuine relationship uh, that's just attractive that causes people to want to um, be part of that you know and I'm thankful we just had our church meeting yesterday our yearly uh, annual sort of who are we where have we been where are we going kind of a meeting and uh, and I was so encouraged as we've seen a lot of new folks come along in the last couple of years that um, to see our fellowship loving one another and welcoming people and all that kind of thing you just can't you can't experience that in a purely online setting it's just impossible to do I think there's some value in some of the online settings where maybe there's uh, you know comments being you know people interacting on the comment section and that kind of thing there's there's a sample a taste of that but it's just not the same as giving somebody a hug in church and, and seeing their face and talking to them and hearing their voice and that kind of thing uh, so love but not only that but also good works you know, when we are encouraging each other to live for Jesus, uh, when we incite one another toward that end, that's going to find expression in the things that we do, the, the kinds of activities we engage in. Uh, Jesus talked about how our good works were things that ultimately would glorify our Father in heaven. They would see the good works that we do, and ultimately they would glorify Him. And so this becomes, again, just a... Uh, an expression and outworking of what happens when the saints gather together as a matter of fact even in Ephesians chapter uh, 4 where Paul talks about um, you know the uh, uh, prophets and apostles and pastors and teachers uh, and evangelists and that you know ultimately um, you know equipping the saints for works of ministry and that kind of thing the idea is that our gatherings in church are intended to provide an opportunity for equipping to go and to do those things to live out our faith in a very real and tangible outward expressed way. And so, you know, the encouragement goes on then not to forsake the gathering together of the saints as is the habit of some. Uh, again, if I can put it in simple terms, what the author is saying is that even in that day in the first century, there were those that just didn't see it being important enough to go to church. And that's literally what that's talking about. The idea that gathering together was just not seen as being vital. Now, in our day, we understand some of the reason for that because again there is access to online things and then that sort of thing but in the first century that's actually kind of a shocking statement to make that there would be some who would forsake fellowship in the first century christians were uh you know here in america there's a very decided christian subculture not subculture but an undercurrent uh in our society in our culture that for many many years really the first couple centuries of our country's existence that was something that was felt throughout our culture. Nowadays, it's less so. It's uh, it's not quite as um, as pervasive as it once was. Again, with some of the changes in our culture that have come in the last few decades. 
but by and large, our, our culture still has the echoes and underpinnings of a, of a, a Judeo-Christian ethic and morality and these kinds of things. And so there's an acceptance of church going and that kind of thing. Again, it's diminishing somewhat, um, but really church going is just a part of the fabric of American life and has been for a long time. It's accepted. In the first century, that was not the case. And in some cultures around the world today, you might be watching from one of these cultures where gathering in a, in a, a setting of you know, 30, 40, 50, or 100 people is really not normal because it does gather attention and you can get into some trouble. Authorities might show up at your door. Well, that was what it was like in the first century when believers would um, would ultimately gather. They couldn't gather in large settings because it was illegal. You know, it was not a state-recognized religion under Rome. It was also something that if you were Jewish, uh, you were considered to have been having departed from the faith of your father, so you're ostracized from your uh, your Jewish roots and, and that kind of thing, uh, your Jewish you know communities and that. And so, you know, it was something that when when the church would gather. It wasn't just a social event, it was a necessary uh, thing. They needed one another because they were all they had for each other. Uh, their love feast took on an added sense of meaning and fellowship because to break bread together was so important in a culture to begin with. But as Christians, this culture of your Christianity was the only one you now had because most people were, were sort of casting you off. And so they needed it. So to hear that somebody would sort of forsake the gathering together of the saints was really kind of a strange thing, but it was also a very dangerous thing. Because if you weren't fellowshipping with your brothers and sisters in Christ, you were always in danger of falling back into the world. And of course, that's something that the scriptures encourage us very strongly against. Uh, we may be in the world, as Jesus said in John 17, but we're not of the world anymore. As Paul would say in Philippians 3:20, our citizenship is now in heaven. And it's from there that we're waiting for our Savior to come. As a matter of fact, the, the first century church really gives us the model for what church is supposed to be in the modern day. And really the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2 gives us uh, really the model for what a good and healthy church looks like. And he basically sets it up by describing it with four legs on the stool. Uh, if you take any of these one legs away, and you've got a wobbly stool that's likely to fall over. But these four were basically this. Uh, were clearly this, I should say. The apostles' doctrine or teaching of the word. Uh, the um, uh, fellowship, breaking bread, and prayer. In other words, from house to house, as the scriptures say, they would engage in teaching and being together as the family of God. They would break bread, which means they would share love feasts, and they would also remember communion or celebrate communion, remembering the Lord and his death and, 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 and suffering for us. And also they would pray together. These four elements comprised the first century church's daily practice. And I would argue that they become really uh, the measure of how healthy a church is today. If those four things are the foundation upon which your, your fellowship together, your gatherings together are built, then you have a healthy situation. You have a strong uh, foundation upon which to build a healthy, strong church. Well, fellowship is one of those. Uh, and that's why the gathering together of the saints is so essential and so important. Again, uh, with the ideas back in Hebrews uh, 10.25, the idea of encouraging one another as we see the day approaching. Of course, uh, there's, uh, I was just meeting with a couple of friends this morning, uh, a couple of brothers, and we were just talking about that and how there's like a, a, a time stamp. There's a period of time in which we'll come to the end of our time here. The Lord will come. Between now and then, this is what we are to be about. 
fellowshipping together and encouraging one another as we study the word together, we break bread together, we fellowship, we pray, so that we might all grow strong in our faith in these days where we need to do this. And so therefore, fellowship is essential. And the idea of gathering together with a body of believers is so important and even vital for the health of an individual believer and as the church as a whole. Now, I do know that there are those uh, reasons that come up as to why people don't fellowship and gather. Again, some of it's just, again, people find it easier just to watch on TV. But again, that's not the same thing as, as being part of a church. You could say that your pastor is so-and-so on TV, but he's not really your pastor because you're not part of his fellowship. I mean, he's outreaching to you, but you don't know him. You've never met him. You, you, you're not part of the fellowship that gathers that he leads and that kind of thing. It's just a supplement to what is supposed to be a healthy participation in the gathering of the saints. It's not nothing, but it's certainly not everything. Um, another reason that people don't gather uh, is because maybe they feel introverted. They just don't like to be in uh, large gatherings or maybe they don't like to be in small gatherings where they sort of have to get to know people, get to, people get to know them. Uh, it's an interesting phenomenon that a lot of folks that really are shy and don't want to meet people actually go to really large churches because it's possible to sort of show up and leave with anonymity. Um, but let me encourage you that even if you are introverted, nobody is so introverted that they never need anybody. Uh, I am an extroverted person, but which means I, I am energized around people. I like to be around people. An introvert typically by definition means that they are not energized by this and they're more energized when they're on their own. But whatever end of the spectrum we find ourselves to be on, all of us were created as social beings. We're intended to love and be loved, to, to know and be known as the expressions go. And so a church gathering is intended to be a place where wherever, whatever your personality is, there is an opportunity for you to be part of a meaningful body of people, a family, the family of God as a son or daughter of the King, as a brother or sister in Christ, to have relationship that is healthy and should be safe and should be a place where you can, again, give and receive as needed in that. Uh, in the course of your daily life. Doesn't mean everybody's gotta show up at every church event, but the idea of being separate from all things that have to do with the body is also not very healthy. Now I mentioned the idea of safety and, and feeling safe in a, in a gathering of people. And this is, I think, probably the third large and, and one of the largest reasons why people don't maybe currently attend a fellowship. Um, I should throw another one in there first, uh, and that is that sometimes it's people feel it's hard to find a Bible teaching church. Uh, we've had people that have commented in our podcast that they have a hard time finding a church that teaches expositionally through the Word. And that, that can be a real thing. I'll speak to that in a moment as well. But again, some people also have maybe had a bad experience in church, and they don't feel safe going to church. Uh, they went to a fellowship that just fell apart, or was unhealthy in the environment, or uh, some event happened that they found themselves sort of on the outs and they really couldn't fellowship there anymore. Uh, and so they've just never gone back. You know, maybe they feel like church is just not a place where they can practice their faith or maybe they're bitter toward God because of an experience that they had there. Those are, you know, I'll, I'll say legitimate, although I'm not trying to legitimize not gathering for those reasons, but I, I understand and, and, and and can get why people would back away from fellowship having had experiences like that. And so I don't want to minimize that. 
But let me encourage you, especially on those last two fronts, the idea of not being able to find a Bible teaching church or a good church, uh, you know, however you might define that, or maybe you just, in connection with that as a good church, maybe you've just not felt like you're gonna be able to find a healthy environment to re-enter into fellowship. Let me encourage you to try. Um, I will tell you, and I'm not bragging on, on our church, but I'll just, in our experience, since we started the church about 13, well, 2007, so 13, 14 years ago, whatever that is, um, when we started our church, we were very, very small. Uh, we were like a dozen people or so in our early years. Um, and we found that during that period of time, there were some people that heard we were in the neighborhood and came out and visited and stuck around for a while. And some of those folks were people that had been part of a church in the past, but had had a really bad experience on one level or another. Something had happened that caused them to just leave. And I don't always know if it's, it was, you know, just something in their own personality didn't jive with it, or maybe something just really bad happened in the church. Whatever the case was, they had left. And, and this little church was just, and, and all we did was teach the Bible and worship, and we would try to encourage fellowship. And then, of course, we you know, had communion, we would try to have meals together, we would pray and that kind of stuff. Again, the four pillars that in Acts chapter two. And, and because it was just that simple, there was no bureaucracy, there was, you know, we were just a handful of people that basically was about the size of a home fellowship. But they found that to be a safe environment to enter into and just hear the Bible being taught and to sing songs to the Lord. And, and they found that to be a, a healthy place to kind of re-enter. And they did. And they stuck around and they grew uh, and that kind of thing. Um, they also didn't have to meet like 50 people or something. They could just come in and when the service was done, we were small and a lot of people were just kind of getting used to this being a church. And so people could come and go and, and you know, and eventually they started sticking around and building relationships. And again, this was something that was uh, an interesting thing to watch, but it reminds me now that it's worth trying to re-engage and to take a step into fellowship once again. Um, now, what if you don't feel you can find a good church in your area? Well, I know that a lot of people do tune into podcasts or, or watch church services online and that kind of thing because they just don't feel like there's a, a church in the area that is teaching through the word, or maybe it's a a denominational setting that has other characteristics that they just feel uncomfortable in or something like that. Sometimes our, our choice of a church is, is based on a lot of preferential things. And, and I would understand that. There's some kinds of churches that um, in terms of their approach to maybe worship or something like that, I might or might not feel comfortable in. Uh, or if they were very liturgical, that may not feel comfortable for me and my personality. But I would tell you that if there was a and, and I, I pastor at Calvary Chapel Church, which is generally known for being relatively laid back. Um, if there was a very high church, Baptist church or something, we'll just throw it to some denomination out, that had lots of, you know, sort of traditions and things like that, but their pastor was a strong Bible teacher. Um, I would go there because that's where Christians are hanging out. They are being fed and that kind of thing. If, uh, if I found a church in the area where the worship was genuine and heartfelt and, uh, and, and people were legitimately worshiping the Lord and the teaching was okay, but at least he was opening the Bible and using it as his, uh, as his point to teach from, I would go there. That was, that was the church where that was. 
Um, and I couldn't find another one that was maybe stronger in teaching or something. You know, I would do that because it would, it would give me an opportunity to at least be fed and to be growing in relationships with other believers. Um, I, it would be great to think that every church on the landscape was just like Acts chapter 2. Um, but but not, not all of them are. It's just what it is. Uh, I was very interested to learn early on here in, in Middle Tennessee. When we first moved here in 2007, and when we felt the Lord calling us to plant a church in 2009, uh, it really struck me like what a... It just seemed like, why? You know, this is... We're in Tennessee. There's like a church on every corner. There's, you know, why would we need to start a church here? And I was surprised to find out how few churches actually teach the Bible. Uh, pastors might pull a text out and sort of, you know, like G. Campbell Morgan once talked about how uh, on a on a time off from the pulpit, he visited a church where he heard a, how did he put it? I heard a capital sermon about a text uh, on a context that had nothing to do with the text or something. You know, and, and sometimes churches do use Bible verses just to sort of springboard onto story time or whatever they want to do. But on the other hand, there are, there are a lot of churches that do teach the Bible, you know. They may be different than ours, and we're different from them, but they do teach the Word. And I think if, if you know, if we hadn't started our church, we'd be going to a church somewhere uh, in the area that we could be in fellowship. So let me, I say all that just to say this. I say that just to encourage you if you are currently outside of fellowship because you maybe had a bad experience, maybe something happened that really just turned you off to church or maybe even to the Lord, let me encourage you to find a good Bible teaching church in your area. Call the church and ask the pastor questions, you know, ask them some theological questions and find out where they're coming from. And if it sounds like a good, solid Bible believing church, then let me encourage you to go there this Sunday and try them out. Go ahead and sit in the in the pew, meet, meet a few people and see what they're about. Usually the personality of a church uh, is a pretty decent reflection of its leadership and its pastor. And, and that can give you some kind of an idea. Or actually, if, if, if you're prone to watching services online, one way that online services and podcasts can be a great tool is that you can visit 100 churches in a week online and then go maybe check one out on Sunday in person when it looks like they're okay online. Um, but but do your best to try and take a step back into fellowship. I have found that people have been very thankful that they did when they found a, just a good, simple Bible teaching church, you know, whether it was ours or someone else's, and they got back into fellowship. Um, if you're introverted and you just have a hard time being around people on a regular basis or something, let me still encourage you. There's a lot that you have to offer the church that you're going to become part of, and there's a lot that church can offer you as well. It's a great relationship together where you can be of benefit to one another and you can grow in your faith alongside of other believers. Um, if And then forgive me for being blunt, but if you're just lazy and you just want to watch your services online because you just want to go to Bedside Baptist or something like that, as, they, as the joke goes, let me encourage you to, you know, put your Sunday pants on and, and put a shirt on and and, uh, and show up on Sunday and, and take communion with the church and, and, and listen to the Bible study and stick around afterwards and have a conversation with somebody in fellowship about it. But let me, let me just end by just strongly encouraging you not to forsake the gathering together of the saints, but rather to encourage one another as you see the day coming. Be part of a fellowship where you can provoke uh, one another and be provoked yourself toward loving good works. This is what the body is about. This is why it's so important. Of course, Paul talks about the body and what every part and joint supplies and everything that, uh, that comes with being part of a body. 
God designed you to be part of a fellowship, and let me encourage you to go ahead and join into one that you might participate and that you might be blessed by it as well. Worshiping God corporately with the body of Christ is one of the high points of life this side of heaven. And one day when we get to heaven and we're all arm in arm, standing before the throne with brothers and sisters from all over the world, from all kinds of different backgrounds and cultures and all these different things, this is going to be one of the great joys of heaven as we gather around the throne. Why not experience a little bit of it right now? So let me encourage you again with that. Father, we thank you and praise you for giving us these words in your word that remind us of the importance and also even the blessing, the richness that can come from being in fellowship and alongside of other believers in fellowships locally. Uh, I pray, Lord, for any who are struggling to find a good Bible church in their area, that you would direct them toward one, that Holy Spirit, you would uh, bring them across uh, an ad for a church that they didn't know was there or something, just somehow connect them. Uh, maybe they meet somebody at work that's part of a good, strong fellowship. I just pray that they would become part of one, they'd find one and join in fellowship there. Uh, I pray, Lord, for those that maybe have had a bad experience and have uh, really just been turned off. I just pray that, Lord, you would kind of reignite their passion to be in fellowship and stir within them a hunger to, to set their foot out one more time and try again. And I pray you'd lead them to a good, strong, healthy, simple Acts chapter 2 kind of a fellowship that just really majors on the major things and doesn't spend all their time on, on, on peripheral aesthetics and all those kinds of things but just provides good, solid Bible teaching that can allow them to re-engage and join in fellowship and to grow in their faith. Uh, Father, I just pray, Lord, for whatever reason it is that, we, that we're not in fellowship, that you would fix that in our lives and help us to be able to, uh, again, just join in, even as your word encourages us, strongly encourages us to do. We thank you, Lord, that there is a day coming when Jesus will come and snatch his bride away. And there's a day coming after that when he will set up his kingdom. So as this approaches, as these events unfold, and one day will come to fruition, we just pray that we would be around brothers and sisters who we've developed relationships with, who we've been with even for years by that point, uh, and that when that time comes, we just enter, we just sort of depart from this world and enter into the next uh, in fellowship, and, and just the joy and the sweet fellowship of that. Thank you, Father, for your love and the great gift of the church. And I just pray that, Father, we would participate in it and be a blessing to it as well. Lord, we love you and praise you for all this. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, thanks for watching and listening. And, uh, well, until next time, the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you, and give you peace forever. And, uh, man, hands on the plow, eyes up, lifted up, looking for Jesus to come, because I do believe he's coming soon. And so uh, God bless you. So whether it's here, there, or in the air, we'll see you soon.